This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. I had spent 10 years of my life trying to reveal a person named Jesus that can't be revealed by a man. It has to be by the Father. That's global change leader Phil Zahn on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we're so glad you're a part of this show where we hope to inspire you, deeply inspire you to bring your bold idea to life, to put your faith to work. And uh, we are so excited to have really a friend of our means on the program today. And you are going to want to hear what he has to say because it's, it's I got to tell you, it's really good. Yeah. Armin, uh, I'm going to let you introduce our guest today on the program. I'll do my best. So Phil is a new brother of mine. I met him in Washington, D.C. at the National Prayer Breakfast. Um, he's the type of guy, for example, when I asked him for a bio, he said, no, <laughs> just left it at that. I mean, he's genuinely the type of guy who doesn't want to lead with his accomplishments or his accolades. He doesn't talk about his resume or any of that stuff. Uh, the man's heart is truly just talking about Jesus and the impact of Jesus and keeping it as simple about Jesus as you can. Uh, Phil's the type of guy, he is legitimately traveled all over the world and met with world leaders from more countries than you can imagine. He's seen and witnessed more things that would uh, very easily be categorized as miracles. Um, but because he's such an honoring guy, uh, this, this, this conversation will sound somewhat mysterious, <laughs> a little bit vague, but just know it's because he's the type of guy who wants to honor his relationships, protect people's identities, protect the identities of different cultures and countries, uh, but just know this th this man has something to say and it's worth listening. With that said, it's my great pleasure to introduce my new brother, Phil Zahn. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Dude, anytime. And you know, you're just doing me a favor, so you don't have to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Phil, I, man, I, there's, I have a million and one questions. I think 10 of them are okay for me to ask and the rest probably aren't. Um, and I, I, so feel free to guide us through this process of what questions are appropriate and aren't appropriate to ask. But we'll start out with the very, very basic just so uh, we can get to know you a little bit better since Larry hasn't met you or doesn't know anything about you. So uh, just tell us a little bit of what it was like growing up for you. Yeah, I grew up in a, a small town called Newburgh in Oregon, uh, which is like Western Oregon. I grew up on a 40 acre cattle ranch. We had about 40 acres and 40 head of cattle. And it was my grandfather's ranch. My grandpa and grandma moved up here from Texas and um, bought some land. And then so like I grew up jumping out of trees and swimming in ponds and riding quads around and chasing cattle. Um, I would say sometimes nights and weekends didn't exist because we were, you know, the Zahn family were always working on projects. And uh, <laughs> back then I'd be a little bit sour, you know, that the chainsaw would be roaring up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a rude, a rude awakening as an alarm clock. But now looking back, I couldn't be more grateful for how I was raised and the freedoms that I was given. You know, now living in a city and living on both coasts and traveling the world, I've just, I've just come to be very, very grateful 
not just for where I grew up or how I grew up, but just that I had grandparents who loved me and my parents stayed together and love me and support the work that my wife and I and our kids do. Um, so yeah, growing up was pretty simple and pretty fun. Um, I grew up a builder, my dad's contractor. And so I did a lot of projects around wood. I mean, I grew up framing houses when I was 14, I was working on a job site and I I still love to build today. It's one of my greatest outlets. It's where I have full creative freedom. I just finished building a, uh, like a king size bed for my wife. She said, I want a bedroom set. I said, great, coming right up. (laughs) So yeah, I went to all my schooling in Newburgh through high school and then went to a college called Linfield where I played football and threw the javelin on the track team. And uh, praise God for the track team because as I was at a pool workout one day, my beautiful wife of almost 11 years now, Gina, she walked in and um, wanted nothing to do with me. So it was, it was great, man. We met in college and uh, began to pursue Jesus together in the best way that we knew how. Um, <laughs> I fell in love with her because of her voice and her heart for God and her love for me. Is she a singer? And, uh, yeah, she is. Mm. Yeah, yeah she's right. a singer and an amazing mother and a creator. She draws and paints and designs knitting patterns. And I mean, she's just, she does anything creative. Uh, sounds like my wife, except the singing part. She does, my wife does <laughs> not do the singing part. Every, do I. <laughs> everyone's a singer. It's just how it's received by trained ears, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. So, man, you said something really interesting. You said uh, we tried to follow Jesus the best that we knew how. So, talk about that a little bit. How, what did it look like for you guys to follow Jesus? Mm. Well, let me be really clear. What it looked like for us to follow Jesus back then? Yes, back then was, <laughs> was most likely how Jesus was wanting us to follow. We were taught and trained that if you're following Jesus and you're serving the kingdom, then you serve, 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 you know? So it's how many nights a week are you leading small groups? And so we were leading small groups. We were helping run a new college ministry called Elements with our friends, Matt Smith and Tyson Smith, not brothers or related, just awesome dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Same last names. Hugely transforming in my life, those men were. Um, But we were leading worship and we were leading small groups and I was a young life leader and we were going to FCA and Elements and church on Sunday. And we we came up under that tradition, that training, you know. And so um, I I strictly remember picking up Gina at like 7 a.m. before class because I thought that's what I should do as her boyfriend if we were both, you know, Christians. And I would pick her up and take her to Starbucks and we would just like read the Bible together. And I would try to make sense of it like, oh, I know what I'm talking about because I'm the guy, you know. <laughs> and uh, if I could have just one podcast recording of some of the foolish things that I said back then, it would be it would be like a stand up comedy hour probably to me now. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So uh, you said something interesting when we talked a while back. You said it took eight years of vocational ministry for me to meet Jesus. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> what yeah. is that about? Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. Lots of people struggle with that, actually. Um, as I tell my story, you know, it's amazing. One of the only things that no one can take away from you is the truth of your life. And it's phenomenal when I will say I, I was um, directing a, a largely successful ministry for seven, eight years. And through um, a turn of events and lots of personal uh, weight and struggle and hurt, uh, which is just the process of normal life, right? But 
that was not the cover of my book. The inside, you know, the story was hurting. The cover was awesome. <laughs> you know, I was amazing. Just ask me. You know, that was the kind of guy I think I maybe was being led to believe that I was. But <clears throat> about seven and a half years in, I had an experience with Jesus that I tell people in certain settings was when I met him. And so when you say you were directing a largely successful vocational ministry, uh, and then you meet Jesus seven years in, uh, it's hard for people to swallow. Some people will say, well, you mean you deepened your relationship with Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, that too. But it went from an information ship to a relationship. See, so like the world is always wanting us to rely on accurate information. Like if I were to hold up my wife's license, and this were a video Skype interview. And I said, this is Gina. She's, you know, five foot six, a buck 20, soaking wet, green eyes. She's an organ donor, brown hair. She's beautiful. Look at her. Now, here's the question. Do you guys know my wife? Mm. No, you don't. You know information about my wife, but you don't know her, right? Because you know when you know someone and you know when you don't. And when I came into this knowing of the person of Jesus, of Nazareth, the real Jesus, as I referred to him as, and people have an issue with that too. That's okay. I'm offended. Um, Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I met him, you guys, everything changed. There were deep hurts in my life and um, struggles that I don't prefer to get into now because, you know, this goes out to people who are never going to meet me. I had struggles in my life, addictions, pains, loss, that overnight went away. Mm. Absolutely disappeared. Um, I was so different after this experience with Jesus that my wife was thinking, he's sick. I need to take him in. <laughs> like it was it was actually shocking. You're going to go to the Jesus doctor. <laughs> right, exactly. The Jesus doctor, which I think Jesus is real or he went insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take him to the Jesus doctor. Get him into the hospital, the church. Eh, wrong. So Phil, what was the catalyst for this transformation from information ship to relationship? Uh, Great question. Yeah, the catalyst was um, a few good men. Uh, The catalyst was namely, and I'll leave his last name, but my friend Jim, you know how we have many people who walk with us and mentor us, train us, disciple us, nurture us when we're wounded, heal us. But my friend Jim, I met, I guess, man, maybe six or seven years ago in a pretty tough spot in my ministry. And he is the kind of brother who has been through absolutely everything. And I I could hold up on my hand the times that he's judged me. And I'm just saying it's a zero. It's not a real number. (laughs) Like he has walked through the the deepest hurt, the deepest hell that I've had to go through in my life, which is nothing compared to others. Jim has walked through it with me. Jim invited me to a dinner to hear one of our common friends, Doug, uh, just share a story. And uh, my response that evening was, I don't want to do a ministry thing on the weekend. You know, I was like, I just did a big week and all these things. And Jim said something that was really interesting to me that actually um, I'll leave out, but that that caused me to come. Uh, Either way, I wanted to hear what this man had to share. And when I arrived, I heard about Jesus in a different way, you guys. I heard about the Jesus that the scriptures speak about in contrast to the Jesus that I was raised to know. And I didn't speak that night. I had no intention of connecting 
with our friend Doug, but he came over to me and and now I know, you know, that the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, that guy over there, he just, he needs a friend. He needs a friend like you. And he pulled up two card chairs and we spent three hours that night and I was given a gift and I explain it like this. It was like a shiny red bicycle that my friend Doug gave me. And I looked over at Jim and Jim said, yep, get on it and ride. And so I had the trust of my friend saying I could trust his friend. Hmm. And as I began to ride this bicycle, I realized that the harder I pedal, it seemed like people were passing me. The harder I would work to use this tool, this bicycle, people would pass me faster and faster. And I realized that this bicycle was what I consider now my most important form of learning, which is unlearning. Unlearning the traditions that I was taught by men and learning to follow the teachings of Jesus. Unlearning the things that I was taught about Jesus that the scriptures never mention. Unlearning the things that I've been told I should do and doing the things that Jesus tells me I must do. And so it was this beautiful tool of simplifying my relationship with the one that I call Jesus, (laughs) right? And, you know, right now there are 34,000 denominations of Christianity leaning on 35,000 in the world. And I think to myself, looking back on that night, if I were to rent, let's say the three of us rent a stadium and we're going to put on a Jesus conference. And all we do is we invite one representative. We invite Jesus, the version of Jesus from every single denomination of those churches. And we fill a stadium. We quickly realize we need to do a 50,000 seat stadium because there are just some Jesuses that will not sit by other Jesuses. Hmm. And so we have at least (laughs) 35,000 versions of the Christian Jesus. Then we talk about the Muslim Jesus and the Mormon Jesus and the atheist version of Jesus, which is just he doesn't exist. He was a guy, sure, he died, but he didn't raise. So we have all of these Jesuses in a stadium. And my question that night that struck me, you guys, so deeply from my friend Doug, he said, how do you know that you're following the real Jesus? Hmm. And... um, He asked me other questions like, what is the gospel? What's the purpose of your life? And I formulated my best ministry answers, but that one really stuck out. How do you know that you're following the real Jesus? And over years of being walked with, discipled in this friendship with Doug and many others, like my friends Ray and Steve and my friends Andrew and Thomas, Gavin, Michael, all of these brothers, Alan, Pete, who have walked with me through this transition, I've begun to ask that same question, and we talk about the time when Jesus is with the boys, right? And maybe a few gals, but they're not mentioned just because of the setting of when it was written, right? But he's with the boys, and he says, who do people say that I am? Which is shocking, because it means Jesus actually cares what people think about him, (laughs) even if they're not his followers. And they say, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets to come, and then Jesus gets to the point, right? He says, but who do you guys, you guys— who do you say that I am? And loudmouth Peter speaks up and he says two things. You are one, the Christ. Number two, the Messiah, the son of the living God. So here's these two things that he's the Christ and that he's the son of God. The two things that we fight about, that we become disunified about, that wars are fought over, that people die and lose their lives. We're fighting over those two facts about the identity of Jesus And he says, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood didn't reveal who I am to you as my father in heaven. And so our answer as we've mulled over this for the last three years is, you know that you're following the real Jesus. if He's the Jesus that flesh and blood didn't reveal. 
He's the one that flesh and blood can't reveal. That means on the mission trips that I went, on my work in these youth organizations, in my time in ministry, I had spent 10 years of my life trying to reveal a person named Jesus that can't be revealed by a man. It has to be by the Father. So let me ask, Phil, um, this sounds like an obviously profound and impactful relationship, Mm -hmm. definitely the start of one. So when you engaged in this relationship with uh, Doug, where, where did that take you? How did that change your life? Um, yeah, good question. Um, a question that you know the answer to. Little Sneaky bit. dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it led to a wonderful new adventure in following Jesus. So we ended up at some friends' requests moving across the country. I quit my job. We left our family and our friends here. They sent us, right? We didn't just abandon them. But we left everything. We sold our house and our cars. We packed everything up and we moved to Washington, D.C. For two years, we spent there working with leaders um, all the way to the highest whatever you want to call it, levels, echelon of government, and all the way down to the most beautiful human beings that I've ever met, like a barista at Starbucks, Hmm. you know? And the other thing that this did for our family is it, it opened up our world of understanding to the actual world that out of love God sent Jesus to save. So what that looked like for me is I would travel around the world with friends, did about 20 countries in two years, and would go and meet with community leaders and meet with community members and then meet with heads of state and people who are in those leadership roles. And we would ask them the question, what do you need? And who are you? You know, what do your people need? How can we help you and love you and your family? What can we be praying? How can we support the work that's already happening here? And so for me, it took me to some places that were great, and it took me to some places that were scary. And I'd find myself in a car with armed guards on both sides saying, this is how Navy SEAL movies start <laughs> you know, like in the marketplace, like <laughs> a couple of folks that look like me in a car, in a suit. You know? And so I learned to trust the voice of God. I learned my true identity, which is a craftsman of unity and an advocate. And I lived in that identity and nothing else. But the beautiful part of that was working in and learning to hear from God. So I can ask, is it safe for me to go? And if I heard a yes, then it didn't matter how much it costs, when it was, or how long I'd be gone. My wife and I and our boys would agree that we're following Jesus, so daddy's going to go. It opened our eyes. It opened our eyes to the cultures of the world, the color of the world, the sound and the tastes, the smells, the economics of how different the world really is. Mm. Uh, And so this new friendship with Doug and many others that I've already mentioned has just given us the opportunity to take risks. You know, in our family, it just decided like we are willing to give up everything to come and follow this Jesus. And in certain aspects of our life, he has chosen to take us up on that. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm curious, man. What, what, okay, I, I got to hear this. What, what is the craziest thing you've done to follow Jesus? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, geez, wow. I'd say the biggest bondage that myself and most people living in America was the, the bondage, the fear of money. You know, my wife and I worked in ministry. We didn't have a lot of money, but through a miracle of God, we had tens upon tens of thousands of dollars from a sale of our home when I quit my job when we moved. And we just said, this is not our money. It's not our savings. I don't have a checking. 
It's God's money on loan to me to use in his purpose for his kingdom when he wants and where. And so we hit zero, like we went down to like zero three and a half months ago, four months ago. And uh, we just watched that baby tick down like it was a shot clock, you know? (laughs) And uh, we weren't sure what God was going to do. But the more he took, the more he used, the more we gave, the more free we became. For years, it was like I envisioned myself closing the prison door and wrapping chains around my own feet. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And so that was a big one. I would say some of the places that we went in uh, East Africa, you know, that like don't need to be mentioned, but like some of the places where most people would consider like, yeah, those are some of like the roughest, scariest places on, uh, let's just call it planet earth, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would find myself with, geez, like incentives or like, um, it's so hard to talk, you know, and like not mention (laughs) people and things, you know, like groups. I get it. You're trying to protect people's identities. We were, yeah, we would just, we would just have um, certain warnings that were from good places and trustable, reliable sources. And so when, when you have to follow things like that, it's like, it's scary when you haven't done it, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not a Navy SEAL far from it, you know, and uh, even knowing who to trust, right? Yeah. We just learned to not say no when we knew it was God. Mm. That was the scariest thing. Whatever God says, we do, no matter the cost. That, that right there, that's the scariest thing. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist, thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative of your joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. So, Phil, I want to pull the thread on something here. Okay. There's two things I want to explore with you for a minute. You're talking about how okay. you, you're, you've you moved into this kind of all in, willing to take whatever yeah. risks you need to in order to follow what God's telling you. Earlier, yeah. you talked about needing to unlearn things mm-hmm. and that that was, the, that was the path that you were on. What, what I'm kind of curious about from that part of our conversation is what was the most challenging thing that you've had to unlearn that, that keeps coming back to you even now that you're learning how to unlearn even mm. now? Mm. That's a really good question. Yeah, uh, that's why you host the podcast and I don't. Um, <laughs> I'll give you a minute. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, like I learned, I had to unlearn a lot of things from simple things. And this is like, if you're listening to this, please just have grace on me and just look it up for yourself, right? But like nowhere in the scriptures did Jesus make anyone say sorry for their sin before he loves them. Nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus pre or disqualify human beings from entering his kingdom. Nowhere in the scripture does Jesus pray a prayer with someone. I would say Jesus is a bad evangelist. He never led anyone to the Lord. He never got money for his own ministry. And some people asked to follow and he would simply say, no, go back home. So there are these things that I've been taught, like take my hat off 
close my eyes and bow my head that Jesus just didn't do. Now, I will do them out of respect and love for the human beings in those spaces, but I was bound up. I was reading the other day and it said, it is useless for you to worship me if you are following rules taught by men. You know, and mm-hmm. of course, that's the translation. In vain do you worship me right. when you, you know. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, I put a lot of energy, you guys, for lots of years doing certain things that Jesus had never invited me or commanded me to do. Yeah, I had to unlearn my fear of other people in other religions. Mm. That was a massive one. Growing up, oh man, see, I, I want to be just really gentle and loving in this. I have learned to love people and not let religion disqualify them, not let their sexuality, their life choices, their socioeconomic status, their color. Go. I am unlearning. Go. I'm changing. I'm growing. Like notice the ING, right? <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's, that's really rich. You said something that sparked my interest here because a lot of us guys, I think, might be more risk takers than our wives might be. You know, we tend yeah. to look for opportunities where we can have some significance and some meaning and sometimes mm-hmm. doing things that sound like a, you're a Navy SEAL, even if you're not a Navy SEAL. Kind sure. of has its own reward there. But sure. <laughs> at the same time, you know, you are talking about watching your bank account go to zero. Yeah. And you're navigating this with your your lovely wife. And she's also probably very much aware that your bank account is going to zero. Yeah, sure. uh, I mean, I know know a number number of us guys are like willing to maybe take more risk than our wives are ready to endure. How did you navigate Mm -hmm. that as a couple? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. I'll start with a story. We had set our limit to like, we will not go below 20,000 in our savings. Whoops, I called it my savings again. (laughs) We won't go below 15, 10, 5, 2, 1, Okay, well, we hit, we hit zero. But I remember a story. We, I was standing in Washington, D.C. on our staircase, and um, we were both pretty down. It was revealing itself in emotions, in a conversation that looked a lot like we've all had. What are we going to do? I remember the Lord showing me this picture of being in the boat with him as he was asleep. And I thought, you know, I'm always thinking to myself, a friend of mine, Steve, says that Jesus is always wanting to cross the lake and he never checks the weather. He's always sending his guys into storms. And we were for sure in a storm. We felt like we were drowning and it was the middle of the night. Now, Jesus is in the boat asleep, but I'm looking at all my options and I'm saying, Gina, listen, what if we agreed that if Jesus doesn't wake up and tell us to not paddle, pitch, or row, we stay in the boat and we go down with him. This idea that in these groups or in our families or in our small groups or in our churches, we know that in the midst of a storm, even if we see Jesus asleep there on the pedal, on, on the pillow, we can jump out and we can paddle ourselves to shore. Or we can take off Armin's hat and we can start pitching water out. Or we can grab the row, the oars in our own strength and we can row to shore but we made a decision that night, and then I'm gonna compliment my wife right after this. We made a decision that night in agreement in Jesus, that if Jesus does not tell us to paddle, pitch, or row, we are staying in the boat, Mm. even if it means we go down. Gina, I'll tell you guys, man, it's unbelievable because Gina has, I feel like she's been one step ahead of me in her trust in this process the entire way through. My first phone call 
following that evening uh, where I, I met our friend, he called me two weeks later and Gina handed me the phone and I walked upstairs and her body just collapsed because she heard from God that moment, we're going to move to Washington, D.C. We're going to leave everything. Now, I didn't hear that. Then we visited multiple times. I went back and forth to be with the friends. And the first time Gina visited, she said on the plane, we were heading home. She said, we're going to move here. And I curled up, you guys, I'm dead serious. I was sitting in a window seat, which I don't like anyways. <laughs> I curled up in a ball and I watched, I watched Washington, D.C. and all the monuments disappear as we climbed up into the night. And I remember thinking the next time I see this city, it will be to stay. And um, my wife looks at me as a shadow of the kingdom of God, as a decision maker, as a team player, but also as a spiritual leader. And here's the secret sauce. I look at my wife as the kingdom of God and a decision maker and one who hears from God and a spiritual leader. So Gina and I have both had our massive struggles in following Jesus in this way. But when we were removed from all of our safety nets, we leaned on each other and we came home. We just moved back to Oregon six months ago. We've come home best friends. We're laughing again. We're goofing around. We're you know, playing basketball in the house and breaking lamps and not worrying about it. And we're, you know, <laughs> we, we have grown because when, as you guys have seen in your friendship personally, but then with brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, the way Jesus taught us to pray, our father, we're brothers and sisters and sons and daughters in family. When families go through hardship, it either destroys them or makes them untouchable to things that the world can throw at them. And I feel like God in his grace and in his love and friendship for our marriage and with each other and with our sons that we're raising in this way has made us untouchable. There are certain things that could still break us, we know, but we are in agreement <laughs> that we don't want those things to happen. Mm. You know? I love it. But Gina's a hero, in my opinion. She sounds like She's it. She's just amazing. We should have interviewed her. <laughs> yeah, you probably should. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. So before I ask you for your closing remarks, Phil, I, mm. I, I know you have stories. I don't know which story sure. I can ask you for, but I know you have witnessed Jesus do some amazing supernatural things that no one could hardly believe. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask this in a vague way. What is the craziest, coolest, most miraculous thing that you have personally witnessed Jesus do on a grand scale? Well, I always do my best to only share out of with like deep conviction out of my own personal experience. And you guys, by far and away, it is not even close. It is one thousand compared to the number one that experience was when I saw Jesus face to face for myself. It was the moment in time when everything changed. It was a Kairos event in my life. But if you're asking about like a crazy story where I learned something huge, we were in, um, we were in one of those countries in East Africa, and I just won't mention which one, but no power, cholera outbreak, just like the most third world hinging on fourth world country uh, that, that I think exists. And we went to this hospital, you guys, and we went into the NICU where the preemie babies are. And there were like five or six incubators around the room. It was about 105 degrees. 
and this country doesn't have a power grid. And so like fans don't work, they can't turn the machines on and you think to yourself, why don't they get a generator? And the answer is they have a generator and we can see it from the window. And I reached down and these little babies would just grab the tip of my finger and they would touch it and they'd move around. They didn't have the strength to squeeze. And the nurse looked at us and she said, these babies will be dead in four days. And, uh, and that's not something that anyone's liking to hear, especially when you're in person and you go just, well, just, then I'll just take him home. Like, I don't get it. Like, why? We're asking why. And she said, you know, the government will only allow us to turn on the generator for said hours per day. And so we can't power up these incubators. And if we try to feed them oxygen on our own, we can give them oxygen poisoning and then we kill them. And so they can't take their vitals. They can't track. And she said, this is just what happens here. And uh, I found myself with a bunch of enemies named that country's government. And that was at 10 a.m. And at 3 p.m., I was sitting in the vice president's office. And he looked at me right in the eyes and said, son, what do you think of our country? And uh, Mm. I will tell you, my first response was not like, hey, man, it's great to it's great here. Yeah, I love Mm -hmm. it. Thanks for all the work you're doing to work with your people. It was more like swear words lined up in a train, you know, and (laughs) I couldn't see the end of the track. (laughs) And I just wanted to take him there and show him that. And the, the, the crazy thing is, you guys, like we learn to hate people for the things that they don't do. And we never lean on the things that they do do and try to love them. Mm. And that was the first time in my life that I had a mortal enemy where I could have given the chance to save one of those babies or save that man. I would have let him go and Mm. saved one of those little babes, you know? But I forced myself to look at it from his perspective I forced myself to not judge him, even though I know on paper he's corrupt. I forced myself to ask the question, Lord, you tell me to love this man and pray for him. So how do I do that? And that was one of the most profound experiences of my life because I got on a plane, I flew to a different country. And then the next day I got on a plane and I flew to a different country. The next day I was flying home and I thought, TikTok, four days has come. Lord, bring those little guys into your kingdom. Like, just bring them in. And God, I lift up that leader by name. Bless him. Mm -hmm. Bless the authority that he's been given over his country. Bless his decision-making. And God, just help this country. Give them what they need. And um, I chose not to judge someone who was my absolute enemy for the first time in my life. And it changed my life dramatically. Mm. Just drastically, you guys. It was crazy. And um, there are lots of stories where, you know, friends of ours have stopped wars, border crises, and got food and water to millions of people who were dying before these visits and all. But I would say that the one thing that I'm learning is that God so loved, he loved the world. Right now, that's 7.7 billion, that he sent his only son, a person named Jesus, so that anyone who puts their trust in that person is saved. I was raised to read it like this, and maybe this can lean into my closing remark. For God, for the Christian God, so loved the Christians that he sent the Bible, so that anyone who says with their mouth, I believe in Jesus, gets to go to heaven. And I'm here to tell you, it's just not the truth. That's not how it was intended. God, out of his deep love, 
for his own creation, sent a person to save the world, one person at a time, to invite anyone in his world into his kingdom. He did not send a book. He did not send a plan. He did not send a ticket to a better place. He sent a relationship, which is the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is that way and the only truth and the only life. Love is a person. Hope is a person. Truth is a person. Eternity is a person. His name is Jesus. Amen. I think your mic just dropped over there. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I could drop my phone. (laughs) He's amazing. I love him so much, you guys. It's such a privilege. Amen. Well, brother, so good to have you on our show, and mm-hmm. we, we are going to be praying for your ministry, as mysterious as it is, but um, perhaps you have a, a bold idea that you'd be willing to share, one that you're pursuing right now as we're yes. just thinking about that, and as we Absolutely. think about you and what you're pursuing, how can we, how can we join you in that? Well, a key, a key word that isn't in the dictionary yet is businessry, <laughs> where we're doing business and ministry at the same time in the marketplace, as I was called for a training to leaders in uh, in the world. God has drastically shifted that as of January 8th of last year. He's leaned into revealing to me that the kings and queens that are shaping tomorrow are the kings and queens in culture, those in the entertainment world and um, editorial and acting and music and events. And I-, I would say you can pray for me that I remain little, least and last until directed otherwise by the Holy Spirit. Mm. As I've uh, stepped into loving these types of people and leaning into opportunities to serve them and to lift up the name of Jesus simply, please pray for me because once again, I find myself going into situations where I know why everyone who's there is there except for me. (laughs) And sometimes that is way scarier than being in the black market near guys with guns. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And so, Pray for our family as we're in this transition that we would never stray from the promises of Jesus, that if we agree in his name and ask in his name and gather in his name and remain unified in love, that the whole world will know that he was sent by God and that God loves them. If we gather in his name, he's with us. If we ask in his name, the Father will do it so that his kingdom can come and fall on the entire earth, Mm. not just our little circle that we live in. So good. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Absolutely, Phil. And if our listeners want to learn more about you, is there a place they can find you on the web? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, my my Instagram following could go to 2,000. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not, I mean, there, there's not a bunch of info on me on the web. Um, I love traveling around and sharing about identity in Jesus. I have to uh, look at the dark web and, on you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if anyone wants to like hang out and talk Jesus or, you know, whatever that is, they can just reach out to me. I mean, my name on Facebook is Phil Zahn, Z-A-H-N. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the same on Instagram, at Phil Zahn. That's mostly pictures of my kids and family. Well, we'll but they rock, so we'll you should have, just check them out. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, I, I did check out your Instagram account. So we'll have all that on our show notes as well so our <laughs> listeners can grab that. But Phil, thanks for being on our on our show. Really, really enjoyed meeting you and hearing your story. And, and I know we didn't even scratch, a paper scratch perhaps, yeah. of all the stuff that has 
happened in your life, but we're so thankful for you and how you're trusting God and the example that you have for us to be inspired by today. So thanks again for being on the program. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Absolutely. Very grateful, you guys. Love you guys. Yeah, same here. Take care. (laughs) Well, Armin, that... uh, that is the mysterious Phil Zahn and a friend of yours that you just said, hey, trust me on this because it's going to be really good. And I had no idea. <laughs> it, it was good. And there's so much about him and to him that. Uh, yeah, don't he, even feel like we even got anywhere no. near to the stories that he could say if, uh, if this weren't broadcast so broadly. So I hope that our listeners could catch the inferences and, and maybe, you know, extract <laughs> extract something meaningful from that. But, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter which presidents of which countries he's spoken to. It's impressive enough to know that he has. Yeah. And that doesn't matter yeah. because really I think he did drill in on what was the real important part was what is it like for us as individuals, irrespective of where we go, but what does it take for us to transform ourselves and and really move from bondage into bonding with Jesus, mm. you know, bondage to other things. Because, you know, Jesus himself said, you can't serve two masters. You know, you're going to love one or and hate, hate the, the other, other. Yep. you know, and it's, it's God or money, so choose, you know, and yeah. he talked about going to zero. And that is, I think, ground zero, so so to speak, for a lot of people that are considering what's the cost of going all into Jesus. Yeah, no doubt. There, there, there's something um, Ben, my ministry partner, is always laughs about that I say because he thinks I antagonize people, but well, I probably do, but I always say, but it's a lot of fun. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I honestly do believe it. I think every single human being has, from a spiritual sense, has a, has a God and a mistress. And they're always, for the most part, the two, you're either, your God is money and your mistress is God, or God is your money or God is your God and money is your mistress. But either way, I, I, I have yet to see that not be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Phil, Phil is the kind of guy that God is God and there's no mistress. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I can't say that about myself. Mm-hmm. I love God. I love Jesus. I love everything about Jesus. I worship Jesus, but I definitely have a mistress. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not cheating on my wife, guys. <laughs> Just to clarify, talking from a spiritual sense here, (laughs) but I, I, my God has a mistress, uh, or I have a mistress that is uh, money. You know, I, I, uh, it has a power over me, it has a bondage over me that I, I haven't been able to let go of yet. Yeah, I think Uh, that's true for many of us. And and you reminded me of the time I gave a message at a fairly large church, and I confess that I was an adulterer because in James it says you have friendship with the world is adultery with God and I was trying to make a point and you didn't <laughs> clarify it that's right I remember that story so everyone thought so you every, confessed to cheating so, on your wife so there was a whole audience there that was just dumbfounded by what I was saying and they're like <laughs> I think after the shock wore off they maybe a few of them realized what I was doing <laughs> So be careful the devices you use when you teach. But in any case, you know, it was uh, it was kind of funny. But you're, you know, you're absolutely right in that that is one of the big things that we're bonded to and and there's that bondage. The other that he brought out that I thought was so so good is we're we're bound up in our thinking about the favor of God and our own favor for people that are most like us. Mm. And that that's I think really eye-opening. You know, this yeah. whole God loved the whole world. Mm. You know, it isn't just the Christians who look like us and carry a Bible and all the rest, yeah. you know, but it's the entire world. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to start there, 
Mm. That's a, that's a, that's the first place to start because I you know I find in myself that you know like I think most people it's kind of easier to love people that don't create anxiety for you yeah. you know yeah that, oh, uh, yeah that that don't create more stress that are most like you and mm-hmm. that's that's part of I think our human nature our flesh nature flesh nature which is really what's neat is that when we have the transforming power of the spirit it causes us to love like God loves. Mm. That's cool. And I want to be yeah. more like that. No doubt. And that is, I think, the transforming transforming work that we do. Yeah. So I love that he, he, he really dove into that because I do think that is very deep in each of us that, that we're not even aware of, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like who we want to impress, who we want to be aligned with, where we want to go are often very, very myopic, you know, mm-hmm. very, very, very shallow, you yeah. know, and not shallow, thin, yeah, <laughs> I, I I would agree with shallow for myself. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, thin is, <laughs> thin is shallower than shallow. I guess is what I was trying to say. I'm not offended. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say one of the things that re- that he said that I thought was really catchy and I, I actually spoke to me is when he said Jesus always wants to cross the lake, but he never checks the weather. Yeah. Um, I. I, I do a lot more than check the, you know, I check the weather, I check, uh, you know, the, what's the fastest path there. Yeah, you got a uh, Google Maps for the sea. Yeah, you know, is there... <laughs> like, wait what, for the traffic to calm down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is is there a different path I should be taking? Is there islands I should be avoiding? And, right. And, uh, and he, this, is, this is the thing that I really uh, appreciate about Phil. If Jesus says go or do like he said, him and his wife, they'll do it. Clearly, they will do it. Mm-hmm. They and and like he said, regardless of the cost. Mm-hmm. But here's what I love about Phil: if people ask him to do something and it doesn't click, that man has gotten so good at saying no that I mean, he he might say no halfway through the ask. Mm-hmm. You know, and <laughs> he just recognize that ain't that ain't where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. and I mm-hmm. and I think uh, something I, I I've learned from Phil just in my brief conversations with him is that. Um, his ability to say yes to Jesus has allowed him the opportunity to say no to so many other people and opportunities and things that come his way. And it's just, yeah, he's just, just put him in a place in life where he just has genuine freedom and he's just at genuine peace and he's just enjoying life in ways that I think most people would envy. Mm. You know, yeah. When he uh, was talking about uh, Jesus crossing the water and the conversation that his wife had with him is like. If Jesus went down with the boat, if he hadn't gotten up and stilled the storm, if he'd gone down with the boat, would we have gone down with him? You know, that sort of question Mm -hmm. is really cool. Because when he, if you remember the story, when he told his disciples after they aroused him, you know, don't you care about us was what they asked him. And he said to them, what? He said, you don't have faith. You know, you've got little faith. And I kind of (laughs) wonder, given that, you know, is our faith that small that we get so anxious we want to rouse God up to solve something yeah. when maybe, you know, if we went down with him, he'd give us a bigger miracle of resurrection, which is what he <laughs> promises in eternal life anyway. So right. isn't that the big promise? It's yeah. kind of made me think about that whole passage a little differently, which right. is kind of cool. Just thinking through is, does he, because Jesus responds to our need or our faith. Say that again, I didn't catch it. Does Jesus respond to our need or our oh, faith? yeah. Right, right, and I and I and I. That's what I heard from yeah. you is yeah, yeah. just giving that distinction. Yeah. Is I think he responds more to faith because yeah. well, when they woke him up, yep, 
<laughs> the response wasn't great. No, you kind of said you're missing something here. You were missing something. Anyway, well, I don't want to keep going. I'll go forever on Phil and talk about things he probably doesn't want me to talk about. So Yeah, well, um, we hope that you, <laughs> for, for sure, we might learn some things that we're not supposed to. <laughs> but we hope for sure that you enjoyed this show. If you did, please let us know at boldideapodcast.com slash 91. That's where you'll find the episode show notes, along with some quotes from Phil. And you'll also see his Instagram and Facebook pages there, too, if you want to follow him on social media, you can do that. And of course, we love to hear from you. Uh, so until next time, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying so long and go put your faith to work this week. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.